comes the money. You're now listening to the Gambling with Gold podcast with Jason Gold. Presented by Champions Round. Welcome back to Gambling with Gold. My name is Jason Gold. This is episode 70, and we are talking about the Masters, baby. Let's go. I cannot wait for Thursday to get going in round one. My golf guy, he's here, Spencer Aguiar, the senior PGA analyst at Rotoballer, the FSWA Golf Writer of the Year, and the host of the Better Golf Podcast. You can find him on Twitter, at Sports. Spencer, welcome back to the show. I'm sure you're just as excited as I am for the best weekend of golf of the entire year. It is. We were talking a little bit off the air that this is golf's version of the Super Bowl. And Jason, I appreciate the intro. I thank you for having me on again. And it should be a fun time running through the Masters board with you today. All right. So let's start off here. The Masters at Augusta National uh, it is a long course. And it might be a little soft given the weather. It is clocking it at 7,510 yards 11 and 15 are longer. The players have been talking about how difficult those second shots in will be. It does change the dynamic of the course, given how important those two holes are, especially when you come down the stretch on Sunday on the back nine. So I'm, I'm really interested to, to hear your take on what lengthening those two holes means to the tournament and uh, kind of what you think about the course in general, given the weather conditions. Yeah, as you said, it measures in just over 7,500 yards. It's a par 72 bent grass greens that are very quick. The speed and the undulation is something that you need to have course history to find success here. The fairways are 46 yards in width. That is over 11 yards longer than a typical tour stop and is one of the reasons why length off the tee has been a critical proponent to pinpoint. And as you just mentioned, Jason, it is going to be softer conditions, I believe, this week because of the rain. You know, golfers that can hit the ball far with the... These are... 11 yard wider fairways like that is substantial that means you can bomb and gouge a little bit and if you're not getting the rollout that you're typically used to getting it's going to make a difference so I think length is going to be a necessity I do want to note that golfers are nearly twice as likely to three putt when comparing Augusta to a typical track and then the slopes and uneven lies result in a 3.9 percent decrease in GIR percentage which is just a fancy way to say golfers are not hitting greens in regulation as frequently as they normally would I always run my model to feature three main factors. That would be current form, statistical data, and course history. I attach a weight to those three areas individually and then combine them together to get my overall strength total for each player. Augusta National is the most predictive track on tour when determining rollover success. It's one of the reasons why we see similar leaderboards year over year, which is the reason I attached a 30% total uh, for that weight, the additional 70% I spread across 50% stats and 20% current form. Uh, if it's fine with you, do you mind if I run through some of those weights very quickly? Go for it. So I started with weighted T to green for 20%. That is a redistribution of my version of strokes gain off the T around the green and approach. So that's not what you would find on the PGA Tour. That is me resampling the numbers to mean something to me. So the approach numbers took a recalculated proximity to total to mimic past historical trends. The off the tee portion looked heavily into distance and the around the green amount was a basic two-year sample size of that data. I looked at fast bent grass greens for 10%, weighted par four scoring for 15%. 
There are essentially nine holes that stretch between 450 to 500 yards. That puts us in a similar proximity range over and over again. And I think long irons are going to be very important to, to be able to save your score. I have par five birdie or better for 20%. These are going to be your most accessible holes on the course. Each yield between a 33.4 to 43.2% birdie rate. I have rated scrambling for 15%. That looked at scrambling numbers, a small addition, more on distance and short game, and a few minor details there. And then I wrapped it up with a combination of around the green plus three putt percentage for 20%. As you can tell, my purpose of these models always will be try to have the numbers work together in unison. I am not taking polar opposite answers and trying to leave myself open for interpretation. I'm using long-term data and then trying to find a blueprint or skill set that is most likely to compete. On the surface, I can get the blueprint right and still miss out on a golfer. There is still volatility that's going to come into play. But give me the specific prototype of a player enough times, and I feel like I can put myself in the game with a shot. So... Thank you for all that data. That's awesome. And let's spin this forward to see what does this mean for the players that you're most interested in this week? So why don't we start with outrights and then we'll kind of get into some derivative stuff, some head-to-head -head stuff. I know that you're the king of the head-to-head, -head, so hopefully you'll have some good matchups for us, both onshore and offshore books. So why don't we start here, outrights that you like this week at the Masters. And if you say Tiger Woods, I'm going to have a heart attack because obviously I want to bet all my money on him, but Maybe not the smartest thing to do this week. Well, I'll be sure to keep you safe and not mention him then with that. <laughs> but uh, it's a fun outright board. For whatever books got wrong in other areas, they seem to have made up for it in this section. They lowered the hold percentage in a few areas. I, I think that that's always a good thing when the boards aren't as difficult to beat. Uh, I started with Rory McIlroy. I grabbed him at 21 to 1 on FanDuel when he was there. It's now more in the 20 to 1 range. I have seen it as high as 22 to 1. But you should easily be able to find a 20. And if you shop around, I wouldn't be shocked if you found a 22. My initial numbers were kind of indifferent on this, but I made two massive changes that moved the needle in Rory's favor. For starters, I love that the pressure is finally off of him to capture this title. The buzz for victory is hovering around Cameron Smith, Justin Thomas, Scotty Scheffler, and John Rahm, to name a few. And then the general hoopla around Tiger has taken eyes off of him for the week. But perhaps more importantly than that, I think these conditions will be softer because of the rain. Rory's biggest issue is when scores don't creep into double digits. He's never won a title at less than 12 under par. But I think the combination of his high ball flight and the more conducive surfaces early in the week will come into play for a golfer that ranks third in this field for weighted tee to green and first in the course-specific breakdown of the model. I want to throw this out there. This could probably have been put into the head-to-head -head section, but... Uh, it, it works here also. If you wanted to go a little less aggressively, I also took Rory on DraftKings in a group bet against Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa, Brooks Kepka, and Jordan Spieth at plus 330 to win that group. I grabbed Patrick Cantley at 28 to 1 during his onslaught at the end of 2021 season. I hate going on shows and giving numbers that aren't accessible anymore. Like that's something that I did tweet on my Twitter uh, at TF Sports for anybody that follows me, but. The reason why I still bring it up is he's 25 to one pretty much at, if you shop around, you can find a number there for him. I think it's still a conducive number that you can take a shot on him. He's number one in this field on fast bent grass greens, second in par five birdie or better percentage and second in scrambling. I think this is a high upside play that I don't know exactly what we're going to get out of him, but 
we know that at his elite skill set level, he is one of the best players in the world. I took Joaquin Neiman 65 to 1. That is on DraftKings. I am willing to take a shot on his youth and talent. I grabbed Tony Finau at 80 to 1. That was originally on points bet. The number, unfortunately, has dropped a little bit uh, overnight on that. But I'm willing to bet on the long term form over the recent struggles. Terrell Hatton, 95 to 1 at FanDuel. They were hanging that price for a little bit. The course history is non existent, but the 18th place finish that he provided last year might be a sign of things to come. And then I bet Siwoo Kim at 110 to 1 early in the week. I've seen some at 100 to 1 if you shop around, but the fact that he captured the Players' Championship a handful of years ago should show that he can handle a bigger stage. So, given the conditions here, it seems like we're going to go for some players that can really bomb it off the tee who are not going to depend on as much run. So are there guys that you're looking at, like maybe like a Cameron Young or someone like that, maybe Luke List, someone that really bombs it off the tee, doesn't not depending on it being really fast conditions where you're getting, you know, 20, 30 yards of rollout. Are those guys that could potentially be winners or, you know, derivative plays for you? Yeah. So let's talk about Cameron Young specifically, because I think that there is an interesting way to play him. So uh, the top debut top market is always a fun one. I think San Burns is the deserving favorite at three and a half to one. But if you want to take a little larger flyer, Cameron Young eight to one on BetMGM feels very enticing. I will note, I've seen this as high as nine to one at some books. So you might be able to find a better number than I did. But my numbers have him as the second best option on this board in this range. And But he's the sixth price man on the board. And when we look at driving distance, he's second in my model. When we look at par five scoring, he's in the top 10. So I don't think a first time winner is necessarily going to come out and break. You know, it has been since 1979 since we've gotten a first time winner. But I certainly think a guy like Cameron Young can give us a top 20 performance. And maybe on DraftKings, maybe as a top debutante type play, I think he certainly makes a lot of sense. Okay. All right. Uh, let's go into, let's go to head to heads. That's your specialty. So why don't we talk about some head to heads? that you really like this week? Yeah, so I'm going to give four at varying books across the space. The first is Tommy Fleetwood minus 110 over Bubba Watson on DraftKings. That price is nearly 40 points less than the rest of the market. My model believes Watson is the mis most mispriced player on the board. And I think a lot of the intrigue around him is stemming from his past success at Augusta. And to be fair, the Masters does have the best predictability when it comes to rollover success of any venue on tour. But it's hard to find much to be encouraged about with Watson at his current state. The American has averaged negative 3.4 shots with his irons over his past three starts. And I think Fleetwood's overall steady nature should play nicely at a track where he has made four straight cuts. It's kind of funny, and I'm going to throw it out there. I think this is the third time I've been on your show now. I faded Fleetwood the first two times. We're playing Fleetwood this time. So, you know, if that doesn't show that I'm 100% number-driven on what I make my decisions for, I don't yeah. know what else would with it. Um, I like Cameron Young minus 110 over Luke List. That is going to be on Bovada. And all these wagers I'm going to discuss right now, this is going to be the first look that I've given these. They're going to be in my Vegas Report article at Rotoballer, but this is the uh, uh, you know the first look that I'm giving to your show, Jason, here. Appreciate so, it. Love it. Cameron Young minus there. 110 over Luke List. I know the general belief will be that Young is making his first start at the Masters, but List hasn't had a Masters appearance of his own since 2005. If we exclude the PGA Championship in 2019, he doesn't have a top 38 in his other 11 majors uh, since that Masters showing early in his career. 
and nine of those results have resulted in a missed cut. I get List has been a second, you know, win player in his career. He's gotten a little bit more steam to him. I think he's a better golfer now than he used to be, but that's a lot of negative results over a 17-year sample size. Rory McIlroy, minus 120 over Colin Morikawa. That is also on Bovada. It's going to become quite evident that I'm all in on Rory this week. He's pretty much in every market that we're going to talk about. But I I promise you this number is going to move quickly. And that's the first thing. Like, be sure to jump on that if you have an opportunity. And Morikawa feels like the perfect opponent for McIlroy because of his troubles around the green, plus questionable form entering the week. The American just lost six strokes around the green at the Valspar. And it's been red across the board for him during six of his last eight starts. And then the last thing I want to talk about will be a very small expo- sorry, exposure play that you can find at most shops. That is for the top Canadian this week. The three choices are Corey Connors minus 225, Mackenzie Hughes plus 225, and Mike Weir plus 750. No offense to Weir, it likely looks like a two-man race. And while my numbers do believe Connors holds an edge, the upside portion of my model does like Hughes. So I will take a shot on him at what seems like an inflated plus 225 price. It won't t- take a ton of units to get some of action going there. All right. I'm going to stop us there in terms of betting markets because I just want three minutes. You got to you gotta give me Tiger Woods for a second. So he's going to play. We know that he's going to play at this point unless he, I don't know, trips in and hurts his leg overnight. Hopefully that doesn't happen. So the make make cut miss cut is kind of where I see most people in the market talking about right now. Sitting around, even it's a little bit shaded towards uh, miss cut, like minus one thirty, minus one forty, all over the place. Do you think there's any advantage to playing Tiger given his success here to make the cut? And is there a chance that maybe he's a top twenty, uh, or do you think that the cold weather over the weekend is supposed to be fifty eight and sixty eight, as he's talked about? Being cold does not help him at all, especially when he has to walk the hilliest course on tour. Uh, So do we just play make cut or is there a chance that we can get a uh, top 20 in here? So if I'm going to play Tiger Woods in any capacity, it would be to make the cut. I I think once you start betting a top 20, you're asking for too much. Um, My model has him 51st overall. The top 50 in ties will make the weekend. That's worth noting. So like you're going to the bottom of the field. You have a lot of amateurs. You have a lot of former winners that are not at the top of their game. Guys like Larry Mize. So if you're going to tell me 60% of the field makes the weekend, I know that there are some hesitant things like with Tiger Woods. We don't know where he is health wise. I don't know exactly what he can do, but I am a firm believer that Tiger would not put himself in this situation. If he didn't truly believe that he could compete this weekend and you know, there's a reason why Tiger Woods is the greatest golfer of all time. And anybody who reaches the pinnacle of their sport or or their field or whatever they're doing, you have to have a belief that you are better than everybody else. And Tiger Woods clearly has that belief that he doesn't play golf for over a year. You know, he suffers this injury where he almost loses his leg and he believes he can come back because he knows the master's course. It's a venue that he understands. He understands all the nuances that go on and he believes that he can win. Now, the problem with that is, I think he might start hot on Thursday. You know, now you have to deal with Friday. Then Saturday, the weather starts coming into play. It gets colder. On Sunday, the weather continues to be a problem with it. So I'm just afraid that with the undulation of the course and the way this is not an easy venue to walk, I'm afraid his body falls apart a little bit on him. 
I think he's going to start. And I don't know. I want to preface this. I don't know what a quick start exactly means for him. Like, is it a quick start that he's in the top 10 after day one? Is he in 37th place? And we're like, wow, Tiger looks good. Or, I mean, like, what are we talking about? Because I think that's going to make a difference. If you could promise me he's going to be in the top 30 after day one, I think he makes the weekend. Uh, but it's going to be one of those things where the body is going to go through a lot. It hasn't lately. So the Masters who uh, and Augusta National really did him a favor where he goes off yes. early Thursday, late Friday. He's going to get the two warmest days of the weekend, 72 on Thursday, 67 on Friday. So it seems like they've built in where they're giving him every opportunity to go ahead and make the cut. Obviously, it's good for business if he makes the cut also. And I'm kind of with you. I, I think the make cut is probably the best bet on the board if you want to bet into the Tiger market. And come on, we all just want to see it. We want to see two days. I'm really interested in that he, the over under for tomorrow for Thursday, round one, is set at 73 and a half. So if we believe that he's going to make the cut, I'm going to go ahead and assume that we got to take the under on that. And given his past round ones here, he always sits in that 70 to 72 range. I, I have to believe that those two bets are not only correlated, but are both solid bets. I would agree with what you're going to say there. Like, I think the best round we're going to get out of Tiger is most likely to come on day one. So, um, you know, I know everybody wants to have a piece of Tiger Woods and you want to have action on him. We have to realize that there's an expectation of what we should theoretically be expecting him to do. If he makes the cut, it is the most unbelievable performance that we have seen. And, and I kind of believe that that's what he's going to do at this moment. But I think that the expectation that he comes out and he tops 20s this tournament or top 10s the tournament, it's asking a lot. I'm not saying it's impossible that he pulls it off, but look, bet him to make a cut and you can get that sweat out of it. And, and if he does it, you're going to feel very good that you won money off of it. All right, that's where we're putting our money this week. We're taking Tiger to make the cut in under 73 and a half on Thursday. All right. Let's get into some top five, tens, twenties, anything that you got in that market. Yeah. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to quickly vent about this portion of the market for one for second. Sure. Go so for it. I know this is a reduced field. It naturally means prices have to see some change across the board, but the whole percentage at a few of the books were a little frustrating. It seemed like every legal part of the space gave us these wildly skewed markets where they protected themselves against entirely any option that wasn't making their first cut or sorry, making their first appearance here in fairness, that isn't an abnormal route, but unless you were a first time player, there wasn't much opening that you could find on the board. There is a Siwoo Kim ticket at an offshore book that pays ties in full at minus 110. I really like that. That beat the legal number at FanDuel by 65 points, but to give two on here that are a little bit more usable for all listeners, I liked Rory McIlroy at minus 125 on FanDuel. The form might seem discouraging to many after his miscut at the Valero, but he's been dominant tee to green over his past five starts, averaging 4.86 shots during that time frame. And I also grabbed Eric Van Royen plus 160 on FanDuel to come top 40. EVR will be entirely boom or bust, but we're asking for him to come in essentially the top half of the field at 1.6 to 1. I'm willing to bet on that upside since he's the second largest climber in my model when looking at weighted tee to green. And I do think. 1.6 to 1 is a pretty good price on him. All right. Do we have any round one matchups that you're targeting or anything else that you want to talk about in the gambling markets? 
Uh, no, I think that's it for me. I'm still breaking down the round one market as we speak. I will definitely have those plays in my Rotoballer article later tonight. Uh, but I definitely think you're going to be able to find some edges in this tournament. I, I think that some of the matchups should be interesting whenever I do take a look. And even when the tournament starts with it, I, I think you're going to find some interesting things where I seem to be higher on players than the general public is. All right. So make sure you go follow Spencer at TF Sports on Twitter. He'll drop the link to the Rotoballer article. You can sign up for that. And uh, yeah, we'll get some great round one plays out of that. So before I get to... DFS and our seven stakes at the end kind of wanted to ask you, is there from a sharps perspective, are there any guys that are being really heavily steamed in the market right now that we should be aware of and maybe get the number now before it moves more or fade them based on where the market has taken them? Yeah, I'll give a couple guys. Um, I mean, Rory McIlroy is one. There's a lot of sharp money coming in on Rory at some of the sharper offshore books. I've seen him as low as 13, 14 to one. I think a 20 to one plus number is really good on him. I'm running through the board right now. Brooks Kepka. I know that there's a lot of public intrigue around him. Uh, the sharp better seem to be moving the other way with him. He's a pretty substantial underdog in all of his matchups. Matthew Fitzpatrick. I don't know what number you see on him, Jason, uh, for an outright. Uh, I'm looking at bet MGM right now. And I have. Plus 5,000. So I have him a little bit higher than that at a couple books if you shop around, but I have seen him as low as the mid 30 to one range. A lot of money seems to be coming in on him. Terrell Hatton has been getting a little bit of money as of late. Um, and I guess there are some fades going on against Colin Morikawa also, just to give you a couple on each side of the good and the bad there. So the Morikawa angle is just around the greens because given what you said earlier about long irons being a big part of this, I mean, there's probably no one better in the world right now than him at long irons, but you're taking to a course where short game is so crucial. It's just going to get a lot of three putts and a lot of weird chips out of Morikawa this week. Is that what your expectation? I don't, that was my initial expectation before the rain came into play. You know, you are a hundred percent correct. He is the best long iron player, or at least, one of the two or three. I mean, you could say Hovland and Justin Thomas are right up there with them. Statistically, Morikawa is the number one long iron player that I have in my model. Um, when I look at the weighted T to green numbers, which does incorporate the around the green game, he gets 15 spots worse when looking at Augusta specifically versus a typical venue. That's something that worries me. You could make an argument that if this is really soft, that maybe his irons can take an advantage. Maybe he doesn't get like these runoffs off the green where the ball is able to stick. I still think you run into some three putt percentage problems with him. But yeah, if it's soft to start, you could definitely get a better performance. I'm less, I guess, bearish on him as I was to start the week. But I still think it's a fate spot, especially, and I understand like on DraftKings, he's going to be the lowest owned guy of the group of 10,000 or above. So you can't really say you're fading him because the whole industry is fading him. I guess what I am trying to say, though, is I would so much rather play Rory McIlroy at around the same ownership because I think you actually get the upside of him that he can win this tournament. Where with Morikawa, I don't exactly know what the upside is. If he came top 20, that's fine. I'm not saying he's going to miss the cut, but I do think you run into some potential problems that the upside might not be as great as the public believes it is. Do you think that the course is going to be the softest it will be all week on Thursday? I think on 
Thursday morning players are going to get it. That's probably going to be the softest version of it on Thursday morning. Okay. So maybe in the first round leader market, targeting the guys that go off early in the morning, Thursday might be a good angle to take here. And that's usually a pretty decent angle to begin with. I don't have the numbers up in front of me, but there is always a slight edge for the guys that go off on the early morning tee times for the exact reason that we're talking about. And now when you add rain into the picture and it's already softer to begin with, I think it becomes even a little bit more amplified. All right. So if you're looking in the first round leader market, early morning and bombers, that's probably a good place to start there. All right. Let's head over to DFS really quickly. Some guys in the market who maybe are mispriced, undervalued. How are you kind of building your card there? I'm going to be very overweight to Rory. That is where I want to go at the top of the board. Um, I'm going to have a lot of Matthew Fitzpatrick. I just think that his price is, I guess, substantially off from where it should be for a couple reasons at 7700 He provides safety for you at that number. It's a really easy person to build around. And I also think he has a little bit better upside. Then, and I'm not saying to win the tournament necessarily, but I think he can provide you a top 10 finish. The ownership's looking to be about 15% right now. I think that that's a perfectly fine number. Like nobody really ran away. You do have some spots with Corey Connors, for example, that he's more popular than I would like to see. I think Will Zalatoris is more popular than I'd care to see. Uh, Brooks Kepka. Like those are players that just from a leverage standpoint, I'm going to make them beat me. And it's not to say that Kepka can't beat me. We've seen Kepka every time these majors come around. He seems to do it. And same thing with Morikawa. And it's just the only difference with Morikawa this week is that the ownership doesn't seem to be flocking Tim like it normally would. But as far as a leverage play, like I am trying to find players on the board that I can have positive equity to. And, you know, it's like a Fitzpatrick. My model seems to like Tony Finau a little bit just because I run it for such a long-term sample size over what an average person does. Like, as I said, I'm taking two-year sample size on all my numbers. I do condense it a little bit and keep adding in more of the weight of the season as it goes on. But I'm willing to trust the long-term form on Finau. Um, I guess, like, my really big fades, though, would be a Kepka, um, Bubba Watson. I-, I want nothing to do with Bubba Watson this week. And I know he's only, like, 6% owned. But he is like the most mispriced player, as I said, against Fleetwood there. So kind of trying to take him on everywhere. And I worry a little bit about Mark Leishman's ownership at 7,300. Like, I understand why people are doing it. He has three top 13 finishes at this venue in his last four attempts. But at 12%, I don't think the form is quite where you would want it to be. The 35th at the match play, which is a weird tournament. There's only 64 players there. You know, he could have had an easy day. Like, I don't even think that's a true 35th. And then the miscut at the players, a 68th at the API. The game seems to be trending in the wrong direction at this point. Gotcha. All right. Let's close out with this as we do every time I have you on the show, our seven stakes contest. We actually have two this week. We're only going to run through one of them. So we have group odds, group betting, which I think will be instructive for actually potentially betting the group uh, group bets in the marketplace. We also have a player outcomes one. The player outcomes is like, what is Tiger Woods going to do this week? Is he going to miss the cut? Is he going to finish top 40, top 10, whatever? You can go play that. It's on the app. But with Spencer, we're going to take on the group betting seven stakes that's available on the Champions Round app right now. Also, I should mention, Big Board Showdown, which is our NFL draft product, is now live. You can go play. It's kind of a soft launch. Stop. Ugh. Soft launch. We put the video up on YouTube last night. We're good to go. We're going to fully market this thing come Monday once the Masters is over. So let's get to the group betting right now. 
Best finish in Group A, John Rahm, plus 165, Justin Thomas, plus 185, Cameron Smith, plus 215, Colin Morikawa, plus 225, Dustin Johnson, plus 280, and Rory McIlroy, plus 315. I know what your answer is, but please explain why. Yeah, I'm thrilled to hear that Rory's the long shot of the group. I mean, to be quite honest with you, I would have considered him at a different number than that, but give me him at plus 315 and the biggest long shot of the group. I think that that's a really good number to grab him at. If you had to pick a second amongst that group, who would you take? So Rom, Thomas, Smith, Morikawa, or DJ? Probably Thomas. I, I think Thomas is going to, I mean, the thing is, is what was the Rom number? Rom is the favorite at plus 165. Thomas coming back at plus 185. Maybe I would take Rom then, I guess. If it's gonna, if you're going to give me them that close, maybe I would take Rom. But like to me, I don't want anything to do with Morikawa. I think Rory's the play here, so it's kind of hard to pick somebody else. But if you were to ask me, like, who are the two next most likely people to win this tournament? It would be Rom and Justin Thomas. All right, let's move on to Group B, best finish. Jordan Spieth, plus 185. Scotty Scheffler, plus 190. Victor Hovland, plus 220. Brooks Kepka 235. Patrick Cantlay, plus 265. And Xander at plus 290. A lot of names on the board that I think people are going to bet a lot of money on this week. Yeah, um, it's a coin flip for me between Xander and Cantlay. I believe the betting market has Xander as a slight favorite to Cantlay, but I guess I will go with the upside of Cantlay since my model believes his win equity is slightly better. If it wasn't such a tough group, I might be more willing to play the safety with Xander, but it likely will take a high-end result to win. And I think Cantlay's boomer bust nature, I believe you said at plus 265, is the way that I would play it. Absolutely. All right. Uh, best finish in Group C. Bryson plus 150. Zalatoris plus 165. Daniel Berger plus 180. Sam Burns plus 215. Louie at plus 265. And Adam Scott at plus 300. This is a tough grouping also. Um, I will take Sam Burns at plus 215. It's very close between him, Berger, and Zalatoris. I think I'd rather take the better price, though, between those three. All right. Best finish in Group D. Corey Connors, plus 195. Neiman at plus 210. Paul Casey, 265. Shane Lowry, plus 280. Tyrell Hatton at plus 305. And Matthew Fitzpatrick at plus 320. A lot of guys that you talked about already. Let me ask you this. Do you put these yeah. groups together yourself? Yep. This is a very difficult one also. You've done a good job pricing these players together because, yeah, I am very high on Neiman, uh, Lowry, Hatton, and Fitzpatrick. Give me Fitzpatrick. Uh, was that at plus 320? Plus 320, last guy on the board in that group. I seem to be doing that quite a bit right now. We're going to be adding up a lot of point totals with this one if this comes in. I love it. You're going for the long shots, but guys that you really like, that's a one yeah. way to take down the uh, seven stakes championship. All right. Group E, Sung JM plus 180, Patrick Reed plus 195, Tommy Fleetwood plus 200, Tony Finau plus 230, Russell Henley plus 260, and Answer at plus 295. It's close between Finau and Henley. I like Sung J also, but I don't know if I want to take him as the favorite. I will take the three top tens at this track and four tries that Finau has provided. So Finau for group E at plus 230. Last group on the board, 
I didn't put Tiger in this for the record because I didn't know if he was actually going to play when I was creating it. So uh, best finish in Group F, Billy Horschel plus 205, Bubba Watson plus 215, Justin Rose plus 230, Mark Leishman plus 250, Sergio at plus 295, and Webb Simpson at plus 305. Well, I guess it wouldn't be the show if I didn't end it with another one of the long shots. I will take Webb at plus 305. I like, I, as I was reading that, I was like, he doesn't like Bubba, he doesn't like Leishman. Where is he going to go with this one? So we're going to go with Webb, plus 305. He was, you know, 2019 tournament, he was playing pretty well there. I don't know how he finished in 20 and 21, but uh, certainly a guy that's capable of getting it done there. Yeah, uh, 12th in 2021, 10th in 2020, 5th in 2019, and then a 20th in 2018. I think you have a little bit of safety there with a lot of players that I really do not want exposure to. All right, so Webb Simpson plus 305 in Group F. And then finally, last question, winning score of the Masters champion, our options, minus 11 at uh, plus 285, minus 12, plus 315, minus 13, plus 350, minus 10, plus 375, 14 or higher, so 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, plus 515, and minus 9 or lower at uh, plus 565. I initially thought... Uh... 13 under was going to be the winning score. I'm going to play at 14 under or higher just so I can get all those numbers in there. I think there is a possibility that Rory McIlroy just gets extremely hot and gives us something like 18 under par and, you know, he captures the career grand slam. And that's going to be like, if my mentality is Rory's going to win this tournament, as I said, he's never won a tournament at less than 12 under par. I think it's going to have to come because of a shootout, whether that's because he turned it into a shootout and ran away from the field or because these conditions are just so much softer that he's able to put up a total of like 16 to 18 under. So I will take 14 under or higher. All right. So we're going with Rory at minus 18 is the pseudo official pick from Spencer uh, for the 2020 masters. All right. That does it. Spencer. I can't thank you enough for joining us as always. I know it's been a hectic week for you with the masters, but uh, appreciate you stopping by. Go follow him at TF Sports on Twitter and go listen to the Better Golf Podcast. You can find that wherever podcasts are, Spotify, Apple, etc. Uh, it's been great talking to you. Good luck this week with all of your bets. And hopefully uh, Rory brings it home for you this week. Thank you, Jason. I always appreciate you having me on here. And I, I really enjoy doing the show with you. All right. We'll talk to you later. Good luck, guys.